Okay, we're in First John. First John, chapter number five, the last chapter of First John. And First uh, John, we'll continue next week with uh, the the next letter, Second uh, John, on to Third John, and we'll probably do Jude. So we'll do the whole section. So once we finish First John here, we'll go on in your Bible, and you can read ahead. There you go. Then you can teach next week. So, <laughs> chapter five. We come to chapter five, the last chapter in First John, and we say, uh, stand back a minute and look at this. And what's John trying to do? What's he trying to communicate? To us. He's got large ideas that he's trying to help us to take in. And uh, it's really, how do you live your life? How do you look at your life and live? And there's lots of people out there giving you advice on that. And telling you, here's how you live, there's how you live, this is what you do. Uh, put your finger in your ears and don't listen to too many of them. <laughs> there's the grace message out there, which is... Uh, uh, you're perfect. And God just wants to bless you until you won't be able to stand it anymore. So uh, just smile and get ready and God's going to bless you because God's pouring out his grace. Well, most people don't live that way. Huh? I don't live that way. I don't say, oh, I'm just so happy every single day. That's not how I live. I don't know why that's how you live. I mean, uh, there's a message of name it and claim it out there. You want it, you name it, and you claim it, and you've got it. Yeah, you keep trying that. Let me know how that works. Uh, there's people who do what they call the message of the cross. They're getting a little closer to reality. But uh, there's a lot of people out there giving you advice on how to live your life. And it's a very trendy thing in this day that you just go around and smile and get blessed and God will take care of your money problems and God will take care of your health problems and you're going to be all set. Well, <clears throat> that may, <laughs> may not come true. I like John's approach because I think it's more realistic. It's more to the point. And what's he been telling us in 1 John? He starts out with Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. He says, I was there. I saw him. I touched him. I, I talked to him. And uh, I loved him. And he loved me. And uh, John referred to himself as uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> That's a good point of view. Uh, and you know that guy's going to talk about love. And so what do we have? Jesus. Just make sure you know who he is. And I'm telling you who he is. He was God's son in the flesh. And he says that's important that you get that right. And then you're going to go on from there. He says we're going to take a concept of family. And we're going to say... We're going to think about family with God. God is our father. We have sisters and brothers in the family. We have family resemblance in the way we behave. We have a birth into that family. And he's trying to teach us the larger concepts of family and love. And last week we said, he said right out, God is love. God is love. And he said, you can take that in. 
He said, love is the one thing you can fill up more and more and more and more and more and more. And a lot of things you can't do that God does. You're not omniscient. You don't know it all. You're not omnipotent. You haven't got all power. But you can open your heart up and you can love to the degree, he says, that is perfection. Or you can love right till you can't take it anymore. Fill yourself up with love. And so uh, he's going on to chapter 5. Now, to continue some of these same thoughts that he has. And one of the really three major themes, who is Jesus, uh, the family of love, and then sin. And that's an important concept, because that's what a lot of people leave out. And that's what's bugging us. All right. Yeah, God loves us, and we're going to love him back. But sin is there saying, hey, what about me? And he's teaching us about sin, about the Antichrist. He's showing us things about sin that are a problem. And he says, if you say you don't sin, you're a liar. Whew, we got you there, didn't he? Come right out and say, you say you don't sin, you're a liar. And then he said, uh, that new part of you, that newly born part of you doesn't sin. So it's not that that's your problem. It's the other stuff. And he's going to talk more about that tonight. Because he said, here's Jesus Christ. I loved him. I want you to know him and love him and be part of this big family that he's creating. All right? And sin is going to get in your way. And so we're going to work on that and see what we can do to fix that problem of sin. Here we go, chapter 5, as we wrap up this letter. Like I said, this is... Much more difficult to teach than most. Difficult book to sit down and wrap your head around. You've got to comprehend it, and it's a job. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is a Christ is born of God. All right, Jesus is sent from God. He's born of God. Remember we talked about the birth, being in a family, and you're born into the family. Jesus said what? You must be born again. All right, so whosoever believeth Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. I do have a couple of versions of the Bible that I read, and I have a, a, a Williams Bible, and it was written, I don't know, back in the 50s or something. It's really good, and I use it because uh, some of these passages, it's the, it's the English that trips us. It's just the English that they use, and it's not easy to grasp. And he says, he, <clears throat> everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. What does that mean? Well, it's not that hard, all right? Uh, to begotten. Begotten. Um, what does it mean? Well, you know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. All right? His only begotten son. And so he says, uses the word begotten. Our Jehovah Witness friends will love that. They say, there, begotten means born, and he was born. No, it doesn't mean 
that. It's not what it means in this particular case. We have another example of the word begotten, and it's in Hebrews 11. If you look back a few pages to Hebrews chapter 11, that's the chapter of faith. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 17, Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Abraham said he had an only begotten son that was Isaac. Didn't he have other sons? Sure he did. Of course, uh, Ishmael was the son of the Arab race, was his son. But Isaac is called the only begotten, which means he's the unique one. He's the special one. He's unique. So when Jesus is called the only begotten, he's the unique one. He's the unique one, all right? So uh, he says, if you love God, the Father... If you love the Father, you're going to love the one that he begot, which is the Son. You're going to love the Father as part of the family. In a family, we love the Father. You're going to love the Father, and then you're going to love the Son. You're going to be one and the other, both. God loves the Son. We love God the Son and the Father. By this we know, verse 2, that we love the children of God. And so we have love for God and we have love for His children, you and I. And He says there's a proof of it. Here's how we know it. Uh, verse 2, by this we know we love the children of God. When we love God, we keep his commandments. All right? So we have commandments. God said, do this. You prove your love when you obey and keep the commandments. And that's a confusing thing for some people because they've been told that following the rules was the old system. Uh, We're free from the law. We don't have to follow all the rules. And that's true in that we don't have to follow the Old Testament rules as far as sacrifices and all of those things. That's true. But there are still uh, things that he says you're going to follow God's commandments. And you think about it. um, Verse 3, for this is the love of God. This is how we prove we love God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. They're not annoying. They're not hard to put up with. They're not grievous. All right. When you want to obey the commandments, prove that you love God. What's he talking about? Well, the Holy Spirit was sent to us, and the term for Holy Spirit is paraclete in the Bible, and it means called alongside one. And so 
Jesus said, I'm going to leave you and I'm going up to heaven. I'm going to send somebody who's called by your side. He's going to be by your side. He's going to be with you. All right. He's sent from me to you. And he's going to do something very specific. All right. John 16. This is from John, the guy who's writing this. So this is an important thing. Matter of fact, I think this is one of the most important things that come out of the Last Supper. This is said at the Last Supper. John 16, I'm looking at verse 13. How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come? He said, I'm going to send him to you. When he comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you, show these things, you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. So when you got the Holy Spirit alongside of you, talking with you, walking with you, he's going to show you the things that Jesus said. Now help you understand. He's here to explain to you what Jesus said. What did he say? Jesus said a lot of things. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And teaching them to observe whatever I said. Right? Jesus said, here's what we do. We get together. If we need to be baptized, we get baptized. And we tell as many people as we can. And then we teach people, do what Jesus said. And the Holy Spirit's whispering, said, yeah. And he said this. And he said that. All right? Take up your cross. If you want to follow me, Jesus said, let a man deny himself. Take up his cross. Follow me. Put that cross on your shoulder. That is the burden, whatever it is that God has for you in this life. And we have some burden. We pick it up and we put it on our shoulder. We say, I can do it. And off we go, following Christ. He said, you deny yourself, take up your cross. You say, I'm not here to do what I want. I'm here to do what God wants. I'm going to pick up the burden that life is to me at this moment. And I'm going to follow Jesus. It's one of the things he told us. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so there it is. You're uh, having, feeling the burden of life. He said, come. Come to me. Come and talk with me. Come and pray. Be with me, and I'll help you carry that burden. He says, when I get under the yoke with you, you'll find it's a light load. Right? And we have a yoke here uh, some time of the year in Thanksgiving season we put it up here it's a curved piece of wood and you can put two oxen together under one yoke and they pull against the yoke he says when I'm in the side of the yoke and you're over there I got it <laughs> I got the load don't worry about it I got the load all right. And so he says, do that. Come to me. Uh, he says, uh, he that uh, abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. So we are told, abide in Jesus. 
How do we do that? We make a relationship, a love relationship we abide in. So he says, these are things that Jesus gave you a commandment to do. And don't walk around saying, I don't have to follow any rules. You've got to follow what Jesus said to do. And that's what he's, John's telling us here. Not everybody will tell you that today. But Jesus said, here's what you need to do, then that's what you should do. All right, and you can go through, like I always recommend, you get a Bible with red letter edition. Read the red, read the red, read. The, I've been reading the red for 40 years, over and over and over, maybe 50 years now. Uh, I forget how, how long we are here. Uh, I've been reading the red because the red is telling you, here's what Jesus said to do. And so he's telling us here, uh, the proof that you love God is you do what he tells you to do. And he's made these statements. You need to keep track of them and do them. All right? And those are important. So uh, he says that's proof. He says that you love, that you do what he tells you to do. And that comes right from John, who was right there and heard it. Verse 4, whosoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So he says we have confidence in God, we believe in God, and we overcome the world. Now he told us what the world was, remember? The world was, we had lust of the flesh, battle, lust of the eyes, which is greed, and the pride of life, which is power. People love power. And those are the things that are out there in the world. Lust of the flesh is sexual sins and things along that line. Not only that, but that includes the one the one we think of most often. He said, that's the systems that the world run. He said, if you're going to live in this world, you're going to need to overcome those things in your life. We all got a tendency towards one or the other. Some people love to be important, love to be in power. Some people are greedy and love things and and money and so forth. It's amazing how many Christian teachers are out there saying, here, you can send us your money. I heard one fellow, he says, no, the first seat of the year is the one you got to sell because God gets the first fruits. I need your money before January 31st, he said. <laughs> I said, I hope nobody sends them anything. But I'm sure they did, all right? Because they have the idea that if they send him money, God's going to fill their pockets. And those things, he says, are out there in the world. you got to overcome them in their life. They cannot be the motivating forces in your life. It can't be what runs you, all right? Uh, we have to get rid of those things. Uh, there's nothing more empty and hollow uh, than the claims that God is going to fill your pockets. Right. Does he some people? He does some people. But a lot of people hoping he does. <laughs> a lot more than should, all right? He says we overcome these things by our faith. We are not motivated by these. We live a whole different life 
that the world out there is living, we don't live by any of those standards. We have a standard that we want to love God and love God's children. We want to do what he says. And at the end, that'll take us up to heaven and we'll live forever with him. He said, that's one we want. All right, and so we don't live by those shallow and hollow things that the world's offer. So what motivates us? What are we motivated by? We're motivated by God's word. Explains to us, helps us understand. We're motivated by God's work. God has things for us to do. We've got to do those things. We're motivated by God's glory. We're supposed to point to him. Show what he's like. And we're motivated by his love. And that's a very powerful force in our life. And we're motivated by a future bliss. I can live through this world and what it is and the burdens that it puts on me because just a little while off, it's going to be really good. It's going to be really good. We're looking forward to that. And so we're not motivated by those things. He says, this is, if you really have God in your heart, he says, then there's a victory. You can expect a victory that these things become to you uninteresting. You just don't care about them. They do not motivate and push us into who we are. All right, verse 6. This is he that came by water and blood even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And this is a spirit that beareth witness because the spirit is true. So, there was a plan, I guess is the best way we could put this, God's plan. He's going to explain to us what God's plan did. And he said, Jesus came along with water and blood. Water and blood. And the purposes of, and we've already gone through this, so you should know this anyway. The purpose of the water was to wash away sin. You mean if I washed in water, it washed away sin? No, it was the concept. It was the concept behind it, all right? And the Jews were always washing. I told you how they washed every sacrifice. They washed their selves entirely. The priests washed themselves entirely before they went out and made sacrifice. They washed their hands during dinner uh, eight or ten times when they were eating dinner. They'd wash their hands down to their elbows and turn around and wash them back down to the tips of their fingers. And so it was always the idea of washing away the dirt, wash away sin. And he says, Jesus came with water to wash away sin and then with blood to atone for it, or I like to say to pay for it. Pay for it. And so Jesus brought these two things. I'm going to wash away your sin. You won't have it anymore. I can get rid of it from you. But somebody's got to pay for it, and I'll pay for it with blood. So we'll wash it away, and then we'll pay for the price that has to be paid. And then he says, this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. It is the Spirit that bears witness, because the Spirit is true. So, 
when under God's plan, he says, you're going to feel a couple of things. I'm going to know my sins are washed away. And the water will ask, yeah, but who paid? Water says, who paid if your sins got washed away? And the blood says, we paid. We paid for it. So what happened to the sin? Well, it got washed away. So both of those go together. So water says, I'll wash away your sin. Blood says, who paid? Blood says, we pay. We'll take care of it. And then you have the spirit who speaks to us, you and me. He speaks to us, and he tells you, you are forgiven. Spirit says, that's it, you're forgiven. You believe that? Believe it, that this washed away, they're gone forever, and then they're paid for and atoned for, and the Spirit whispers in your ear and said, you are forgiven. So you can know without any doubt that you're forgiven. You never have to scratch your head and say, gee, I wonder if I am. Never. You can trust God. He forgives. He opens up his heart and washes away the sins, and then he gets the blood involved. Remember when he was crucified, John said what? He was the only one standing by the cross. John said they took a spear and they shoved it up under his ribcage, and I saw water and blood come out. I said, I was there, I saw water and blood at the last drop of his blood. Because when they crucified people, the blood stopped running to the extremities as the body's trying to keep itself alive. And so the blood would stop running to the extremities so the hands wouldn't bleed like they did, or the, the feet even. At that point, your body's trying to hold the blood in close, and whatever was left, they jammed the sword and emptied it all out. And so uh, you can rest assured because the Spirit whispers in your heart and says, you are forgiven. It happened. All right, now, he says you got people who are going to say, that's true. Let's see who it is, verse 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father and the Word and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. All right, so he says the Father said, that's true. I'm telling you, that's true. That's my son down there. When did he say it? Well, when he got baptized, it says he came out of the water, and the Father said, what? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He starts to shine, and God says, what? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And then we get almost to the end when he's ready to sacrifice, and they say, there's some Greeks here to see you. And God speaks again. That's my son. He's about to pay the price. And they're coming from Greece to find out about it. And it makes me thrilled. Uh, He's about to pay the price. And I'm saying he's the one. And the father spoke out and said, yes. So the father said, this is true, part of God's plan. The father spoke, literally spoke. That that was true. The word, all right, is Jesus. We just 
have gone through that. We know that he is the expression of the mind of God. He's the word. And he says, the word also said, what did he say? Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. That's a very plain embracing of what Jesus' message was. And God himself, Jesus, said, I'm speaking life to you. And of course, the Spirit comes, and he's the inner voice that we have. And the Spirit, to you and me, is like fire. You have a God-given conscience. God put a conscience in us because we were made in God's image. He put a conscience in us so it would bother us when we sin. But we got so good at sinning, we ignored it entirely. And he says, your conscience can be seared like he took an iron and went, burned it. And you can do that. I have fingertips. I can't feel anything because I ran them through a planer once. And it takes away the feeling <laughs> on the end of your fingers. All right? And it's true with your conscience. It can burn away the feeling in your conscience. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he's like fire inside of you. And he's not going to let that conscience lay still. He's going to say, hey, 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 I said no. I'm telling you no. I'm telling you that this was God's plan for you. And you can listen to the fire and let it burn in your heart and say, oh, I'm forgiven, it's wonderful. Or you can grieve the Spirit. The Bible says you can grieve Him, and it even says you can quench the Spirit. It's not listen. But He says, in heaven, from heaven comes God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, say, here's the plan for you to rescue you. And let's go on, verse 8. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in one. All right. So we said that down here, what do we have? We got the blood shed. We got the water to wash away sin and the spirit living in your heart, talking to you. He's that inner voice that talks to us and helps us to understand. All right. So we got somebody in heaven saying, this is it. He's the one. Do what Jesus says. We got things down on earth, the blood and the water, spirit in our hearts, that he's the one. All right, so he says, verse 9, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. And this is the witness of God, which he testified of his son. So he says, God said, the son is going to come and take away the sin problem so that you could be united to him. And he says, when you put somebody on the the witness stand and you say, do you swear to tell the whole truth of, you know, Perry Mason thing? Swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, it's healthy God. Yeah, okay. He says, if you could believe a man, I think you can believe God. That's what he's saying. If you take the testimony or the witness of a man when he sits on a stand and raises his hand, I swear to tell the truth, you certainly can take the testimony of these things that say, here's what's true. Here's what's true. And you can trust that those things are true. So you are forgiven. You can know that without any shadow of a doubt. Verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God has a witness in himself. 
He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believed not the record that God gave of his son. All right, so if you choose, you say, well, I don't know if I'm going to believe in Jesus. You're calling God a liar. That's what he's saying. God said, yes, he's the one I sent. Yes, he's my son. Yes, believe him. Yes, listen to what he says. He's the one. So take that as true, he says. And if you don't take that as true, you don't accept that, and you're calling God a liar. And that's not a good thing. Don't call God a liar. Verse 11, this is the record that God has given us his eternal life, and this life is in his son. So God has given us life, eternal life. That's an amazing gift, all right? Here we are, we have consciousness, and we have uh, uh, self-awareness, all right? And, and the Bible says when God created, created Adam, what did he do? He breathed life into him. He made a human body out of the dust of the ground or the basic chemicals and building blocks that are our body. And they used to, they used to say years ago, well, your body is worth $7.85. We take all the water out and all the whatever else out. You know, well, I, you know, my, I don't know if mine is worth that much or not. But the <laughs> point is the body's nothing. The life that he breathed into it is priceless. So God had breathed and given you a consciousness. You're aware. You're alive. And then he said, I'm going to give you this life, and only I'm going to extend it eternally. I'm going to live forever. You trust in God, you're going to live forever. What else do you want? <laughs> what else do you want? I'm going to live forever. That's an amazing thing that God has given us eternal life so that he created us to live through this world. He says it's going to be a short time. And we're going to another world. And God, says the Bible tells us, he's going to take this world and burn it off and get rid of all human remains. All right? He's going to burn all that off, recreate a new world with no sea. So it'll all be land and no sea. And then he's building in heaven a city. And he says, I see the city come down to earth. So heaven comes down to earth and the two dimensions that are separate now come together and become one dimension where uh, you and I are going to live forever and ever. And he said, you don't even need the sun anymore in that place. He said, God will be the light. You won't even need a son. It's pretty fantastic. That's where we're going. Right, so in a new dimension created by God, he's building a city up there. And the fact is he gave dimensions of the city. And when it comes down, it's about the size of Europe. That's what the dimensions are. About the size of Europe. So there's a city coming down on a brand new fabulous, beautiful earth, and it's going to settle down. And he says, the sun, God's going to be there. We won't even need the sun. <laughs> wow. So you, 
are you into this? Do you want this or not? Is this good? This is fantastic. Are you kidding me? John's trying to tell us this is unbelievable what is being promised. And we got God in heaven swearing. I give witness, God, that I swear it's true. You'll have eternal life. That's pretty good. All right, let's go on. Verse 12. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. All right, so there are people that do not want the Son of God, don't have him. They haven't got a real relationship with him. And they can tell that because they don't love him. There's people who move in Christian circles, I believe, that don't love God. They may move in Christian circles, but they haven't joined the family that don't love God. We're here to teach that and get people to do that, because that's a dangerous thing. 13, these things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. I want you to believe that he was the Son of God, that he came down here and established this family and he dealt with the issue of sin, and that's what was keeping us apart from God. He dealt with that issue, and so now uh, we're overcoming the world. We're not motivated by anything in the world because God has made these things available to us, a whole new life, a whole new way of living, where we live above the way the world out there behaves. And now, here we go. Here's a good shot. And this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So, one of the things he includes in this, he says, is God hears our prayers. Does that mean he just hears? Well, he says you can have what you ask if you ask according to his will. So God, there's things that God wants to do. And if you pray the things in your prayers that God wants to do, then he's going to answer those prayers because he's going to do it anyway. He wants to do it. And he wants us to want what he wants. And our problem is to really get in our mind what is the will of God. Because when we're praying, we say, well, what if I pray is not the will of God? Well, it's probably going to go up to the ceiling and bounce back down. That's it. won't go any further. So part of learning to pray and get answers to your prayers is making sure that you know what the will of God is. All right, you got to search for that. All right, like I said, let's read the red words and get it there. We can ask for those things, you know. And then, what about specific examples? What about things in your life? You want to know, should I go this way? Should I get that job? Should I move out of this house? Should I do this? Should I do that? You want to know what the will of God is? Well, you ask, you ask, and keep asking. And one of the things that God does is he opens a door sometimes. And sometimes he closes it. And that's been my life. 
he'll open the door and you can go through. When the door's open, get yourself through the door. Do the will of God and keep praying. All right, when we said, yes, we're gonna buy this old church, uh, the guy said to me that we were buying it from, somebody got money, must, somebody must have money there. And I didn't tell him, but nobody had any money. <laughs> but God opened the door and God took care of all that. That was easy. That was easy. People with no money paid off the mortgage in five years. Right, so uh, God just did a, all kinds of things. God's been very good that way. He's been taking care of us that way. So uh, we have a confidence if we ask anything according to his will. And you need to find anything in the Bible that talks about getting your prayers answered. And one of the things is if any two agree, that helps. God listens to our petitions that way. And so uh, it's good to get together and pray and then pray together and agree and then find out what the will of God is and all of a sudden you'll find your prayers will be answered. And uh, when prayers get answered, it's pretty exciting. I can't think of much more exciting than when God said, here, here's your, here's your answer to your prayer. And we saw a lot of it when we started here. It was amazing. And I started out believing God. When I ended up, I would say I had boundless confidence that he was going to do what needed to be done. He's going to make his will clear. And just a hundred ways it happened. So he says part of this relationship is God hears your prayers and he answers them if you're acting according to his will. And so we have to learn and get to know what God's will is. Verse 16. Now this is one of the most confusing verses in 1 John. And uh, it's got a lot of people scratching their head. It's not that hard, uh, but here we go. 16. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask. And he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death, and I do not say he should pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. So, <clears throat> going on, God will hear our prayers if we ask in God's will. Now, he says you can pray for others in particular in the family of God. You can pray for others in the family. He says there's a sin unto death and there's one that's not. And I don't want you to pray for the sin that's unto death. I want you to pray for the one that's not unto death. What does that mean? Well, if you deliberately say, and some people do deliberately say, uh, I'm going to do this, and I don't care. I don't care if God likes it or not. I'm going to do it. Well, that's what I would call uh, intentional rebellion. It's intentional rebellion. And if you're going to intend to rebel against God and say, well, I'm going to do this. And I really don't care what God thinks. I'm going to do it. Then, off you go. Go ahead. 
Go ahead. But don't pray for that person that they'll um, have their sin forgiven. They have to repent and turn themselves. And so he said, if somebody is right in God's face and says, I'm not going to do it, and they're going to go off that way, then he said, don't pray for them. I do want you to pray for people like everyday people who make mistakes, who do things wrong that they shouldn't, not because they're shaking their fist at God, but because it just, it's in their nature to do things wrong. And uh, usually every one of us has some little bit of this, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, that uh, it's like we got a little chain on our neck. Hey, don't pull me with, hey, quit pulling me. Yeah, well, turn your head and I give you another shot. Because we got some weakness in us. And he says, if there's a person who's doing her best, but they have a Difficulty, I want you to pray for them that they'll be forgiven. Pray for them. And so uh, we pray for each other. Like the song says, uh, uh, we share our mutual woes, our mutual burdens bear. Often for each other flows the sympathizing tears. Because right? we see some people are being really uh, having a real trouble going through this and he said you can pray that they'll come through it all right. right if they're in full rebellion then that's a different thing all right they have to come to repentance and they got to deal with god and you probably can't pray them out of it in other words if someone's i don't need god and you can't say okay god save them anyway it won't work all right it won't work and so you don't have that ability when you pray. Right? But you can pray for others, and we need that for all of us. We need that. Now, verse 18. This is really where he's going to hit the nail on the head. Get ready. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Now, we've been saying that. We said that God comes into us and we're born into a family. We have an experience and God said, I'm going to make you born again. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And I'm going to put in you a new you, a new person inside of you. And that person is going to love God and follow God. And we need to feed that man, make him the stronger of the two of us. Because we got another one in that likes to rebel. All right? So he says, that person, that new person that God puts in you doesn't sin. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself and the wicked one touches him not. And there finally he's come out and said it. And he said we have to keep ourselves. Like David said, set a watch on my heart. Keep the door of my lips. All right, I got to pay attention. We got to say to ourselves, I know what my weakness is. I know that what I got to watch and I can't do. And I can't uh, 
take that drink and I can't do say these words and I can't have that argument. I can't do those things and we got to fight in our own selves. He says, that mean you got to take care of your own sin? No, but you got to keep a guard, keep a watch and learn to overcome those things. All right? And so uh, understand those things and learn to understand it. And, uh, we have to watch out for ourselves too. And the Bible says in several places, pay attention. You know, you, you can't continue on just doing whatever you want to, whatever comes out of your mouth. No, you, you got to stop and get a hold of it. He said, God is going to forgive when we make a mistake. But we cannot just do what we ever feel like and then just keep coming to God and say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. Or, no, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. And he says here, uh, 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Around us is more bad things than you can imagine, more bad things than you can think of. And they're all around us in the darkness. It's in the whole world surrounds us every day. And it's easy for it to rub off. That's what he's saying. It's easy for the world and the world's things and the world's attitudes to rub off on us. And we got to make sure that we keep our part. We do our part. We can't go to heaven and say, well, God, you didn't fix everything that was wrong with me, so I just kind of went along and let it go. No, 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 no. No, no. We have a responsibility to do the things that are right, too. And God expects that of us. And so then we really kind of got the handle on it. All right? There are sins when we we say, I'm not going to do what God wants. I'll do what I want. Well, good luck with that. He says, but when we're part of the family and we love God and we love each other, we do what he says. We do what he says. We keep ourselves. Keep a watch over ourselves. All right, that's the important thing. 20, and we know that the Son of God has come, has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Here's how to live your life. All right? Be part of the family. Love God. Love each other. Keep a watch over yourself. All right? Don't just keep doing things that you know you shouldn't. Keep a watch over yourself. And then you ask God... To give you understanding. You need understanding. So you ask God, I'm going, uh, you need to help us. All right? so what is our weakness? What's our weakness? What's our sin? What do we have to pay attention to? Well, Jesus came to help us to understand. All right? uh, John, we can look in the Bible and see what Jesus did with John. And we learn how to love. You can watch and see what Jesus did with Peter, and you'll learn to be patient. He's a very impatient person. 
Right. And so you can learn patience by reading about Peter, what Jesus said. Uh, Jesus reaches down to help. Who do you read that? That's Zacchaeus, right? Little Zacchaeus. Jesus reaches down to help him, right? Uh, faint of heart. There's a man at the pool. And Jesus walks up to him, and he's been there for 38 years. And Jesus said, do you want to walk? And he said, well, of course he wants to. No, his, his drive has dried up after 38 years. His drive is all gone, and he just lays there hopelessly. And Jesus said, do you want to walk? He said, I can't get to the water. The water helps me. I can't get there. His hope is gone. Jesus says, here, come here. (laughs) Stand up after 38 years. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, You're you're an outcast. Well, who's he talked to? The woman at the well. You're lighthearted and you have no concern about the things of God. That's Herod. And what did Jesus say to him? Not one word. If you don't want to be serious about God, you want to take God seriously, and you got Herod. That's him. He made a big joke of it. Jesus never said a word to him. You got Pilate, right? Pilate says to him, I can do whatever I want. He says, you don't have any power unless I give it to you. Unless it comes from heaven. All those are lessons. The thief on the cross. It was a lesson understanding what? It's never too late. It's never too late till you're dead. It's never too late. He's dying. He's not far from dying. He's a few minutes away from dying. It wasn't too late. So in all of these things that we read that Jesus did is understanding how to deal with our impatience, how to deal with our uh, hopeless feelings, our depression. All right? How do you deal with the people who could care less about God? How do you deal with people who are there? And it's, you say it's, it's too late. No, it's not. It's not. And all these things are understanding that Jesus gives us. And so we read the Bible and we look for ourselves in every person. I want to see if any of Eric is in Peter. I want to see if any Eric is in Zacchaeus. I want to see if there's any Eric stuff in there. All right? And we get so we know, recognize who we are, and then Jesus deals with the people. So you have three things. God hears our prayers. And if we pray according to his will, he answered. We can pray for others who are having a hard time and help them through you can ask God to step in and forgive. And then the last thing he says is you got Jesus and the Holy Spirit taking his words and pushing them into our hearts so that we understand life. We want to say, I understand how to live life. I know what to do. I know how to stand up and live life the way it's meant. And then... Here's a funny thing on the end, verse 21. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Amen. Say, what did he put that on there for? That's a funny thing to say right at the end. That's exactly 
the right thing to say at the end. Why? Because he said you have a tendency to let your religion and your living get to be just, uh, it's just another thing. I've had people tell me at various times, I'm not learn. I don't learn anything anymore. I know it all. <laughs> Literally, people tell me, I, I stopped learning. I can't learn it. I already know it all. So there you are sitting uninspired in the pew. And, and John says, watch the idols, will you? Watch the idols. All right. Make sure that your relationship with God is a vital, alive, vibrant experience. Make sure you know God, you talk to him, you sit down and worship him. You sit down and worship him. We provide those things. We had song service Sunday, all hail the power of Jesus' name, and I'm singing with all my heart, and then it just strikes me. Let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball. I'm thinking about my own family. And it choked me up. I say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for bringing my family into the fold. It's thrilling. It's worship of God. We supply those things, but it's got to come out of your heart. I can't say, hey, did you worship about your family when we sang that? <laughs> you gotta, gotta come out of your heart. It's gonna be a vital experience comes out of your heart. And when you hear these words, uh, we sang the first song. What was it? Uh, when morning gills the skies. Uh, <clears throat> it says, the powers of darkness fear on this sweet chant day. Thank God. You can sit here and say, thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord for what you've done. And uh, Satan's outside the wall saying, man, I can't get in that place today. He's got that place worshiping God, and I can't do anything about it. Good. That's what I want. I want him outside. I don't want him in here. And that comes from worship in the heart. So he says, don't let it be like some old wooden idol, something you carved that don't mean anything to you. Make sure your relationship with God is warm and living and vital and real. Then you'll be okay. There he's done. He's just finished. Here's what it's all about. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And don't worry. Don't let it be an idol. Keep it real. Keep it real. Thank you. Amen. Next week we'll do 2nd John. 2nd John.